is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Well, hello there, Talking Deadians. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is episode number 79 for Tuesday, May the 22nd, 2012. It's a day later than usual, but what can you do? Yeah, and a dollar shorter than usual. A dollar shorter. Well, I'm usually a dollar shorter. Um, <clears throat> happy Victoria Day to you. Oh, yeah, Victoria Day. And because Victoria Day is not all that exciting to anyone outside Cost this country. exciting to me. Or anyone inside this country, really. Yeah, really. I'm going to go with World Day for Cultural Diversity for Dialogue and Development. Oh, so it's a dialogue for dialogue and development. Diversity for dialogue and di- development. Diversity Day, for short, yeah. <laughs> is a United Nations-sanctioned international holiday for the promotion of diversity issues. It is currently held on May 21st. The United Nations General Assembly proclaimed this holiday due to UNESCO's Universal Declaration on Cultural Diversity in November 2001. Okay, so what's a diversity issue? Uh, 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 racism, things like that. Right. Okay. Not, not, not integrating people into societies as right. people move around the globe. So it's not an issue with diversity. <clears throat> it's an issue of anti-diversity. Right. Well, that's the that's the thing. Is it a diversity issue? The world is too diverse. I hate this. It should be <laughs> just just one thing. Everybody, you know, I don't know. It just seems like kind of weird that it would be a diversity issue. Well, it, yeah, they're they're promoting diverse tendencies. Right. <laughs> So it's a lack of diversity issue. I guess so, yeah. But it's World Day for Cultural Diversity for Dialogue and Development. It's just promoting the talking about diversity issues. So it's not even diversity issues. It's dialogue and discussion of diversity issues. And I recommend you call the United Nations and ask them for clarification if the Wikipedia entry did not serve that purpose. I would like that very much. I have them on speed dial, actually. I call them every couple of days. <laughs> Do you? Good. I, Good I have questions. Know. I have questions that I just like to have answers <laughs> to, and uh, the UN seems like the, the right place to call. Well, they should be able to answer all of your questions. You'd think. They're very smart people there. That's the whole idea. Yeah. And in New York City, where uh, where else where else would you get a lot of smart people from all over the world and uh, able to answer my questions? And well-guarded, that building is. No doubt. If I could speak like Yoda for a moment. And lots of flags. <clears throat> Well, they got to represent and be diverse. See? Yeah. <laughs> That's how it works. I have no issue with that. All righty. We have a huge program. This week, we are going to finally do our David Morrissey Spotlight, mm-hmm. which we had to delay last week due to um, viewing issues, I would, I would say. Viewing issues? Yeah. And, and choice, uh, uh, material choice oh, issues. Yeah. Right. But we can get into that later. We'll recap. We've got listener feedback. We have a brief, holy crap, did you see that moment? But at first, The Walking Dead News. The Walking Dead News. All righty, we are going to dive right in. <clears throat> We've got another new character Ooh. sort of announced for season three. Sort of announced. Well, there is some discussion as to whether this was a casting call that was leaked or if AMC intentionally leaked it. Poured. Poured. It there's a leak be, and there's pores. It, this might have just been poured out. Right, yeah, okay. Exactly. But it comes, it, here's what it said. Manuel, 30 to 40, Hispanic, a working class survivor. He is confident, physically skilled, a leader when necessary, capable and smart. Has a terrific sense of humor where you wouldn't expect one recurring. Your armpit. 
You wouldn't expect a sense of humor in your armpit. <laughs> no, you would not. <laughs> Although, Matt. you know, you have those kids that can make fart noises with their armpit. I've never been able to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that is funny. Maybe the back of your neck. I wouldn't expect sense of humor there. No, but back of your knee, maybe. That's not a very funny area. No, that's not. Well, you know, wherever it is, Manuel has it. And um, Michael Ossiello from TV Line added that Manuel is potentially the comic relief for the show. Oh, geez. Comic relief that the show has never had. Oh, great. Hispanic co- comic relief. Isn't that like Hurley? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Do I think the show does, to a certain extent, have some comic relief already. It does? I mean... Okay. You know, not a lot of funny stuff happens on this program, but occasionally. I don't think there's a comic relief character, but there's comic relief moments. Yes. And it comes from Daryl, it comes from Glenn, it comes from all over the place. Mostly those two guys. Mostly those and two And mostly guys. Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> no, Daryl has his, uh, you know, uh, Sawyer moments where he calls everybody names. Yeah, he's got the one-liners and stuff like that. I don't think this show really needs more comic relief is... is sort of what I'm saying. I definitely don't think they need a comic relief character. No, not, certainly not one. I remember people were calling Glenn the Hurley of this show. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't really take to that so well. No. You know, which is fair. Because Hurley's a cool character, but he worked on Lost. I couldn't see him really working on The Walking Dead in the same way. No. So we've got Manuel coming in, who, you know, apparently is here to fill the void a little bit, left by... Uh, Shane and Dale, mostly, I think. But he's going to be funny where you wouldn't expect it. Hmm. So interesting to find out. Nobody's in cast. There's no other information. That's all we know for now. Right. Um, Chris Hardwick interviewed Glenn Mazzara on a... uh, on one of his podcasts, he of course is the guy who does AMC's Talking Dead show, right. yeah, yeah, which was renewed, by the way. Oh, just okay. In case anyone is wondering, they are going to continue doing it in so season we. three, and so are we. Although we <laughs> haven't been renewed per se, <laughs> I renew this show every week. We're we're up for a renewal in uh, August, <clears throat> where we're going to sit down and we're going to look at each other and go, "You want to keep doing this?" and debate it for a while, and yeah, then right. probably decide to do it. The pros and cons, you know, the uh, the budget. We'll go over the budget. We'll go mm-hmm. over. Uh, our income, and uh, you know, we'll see if it's if it's feasible. Make sure it future. still makes financial sense. Yeah, we can continue to lose money. Yeah, <laughs> which is fine. That's which all is right. fine. Yeah, you know, that, that's that, that's good. You gotta spend money to make money. <laughs> yeah, August. Not that we're trying to do that here, but you know, I'm lo- I'm looking forward to uh, to the annual meeting. That yeah, we're the, gonna an- have. the annual general meeting. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we're gonna get dressed up, suit and tie, suit and tie for the AGM. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So Chris Hardwick interviewed Glenn Mazzara, and uh, comicbook.com reported on this, and it was a long, uh, hour-long podcast interview, and uh, I've listened to a little bit of it, not right. very much. I, on the way home today, I started putting it on. But Mazzara had some interesting stuff to say, and what I did here at the beginning mm-hmm. was fascinating. It was just about when they started writing season three, how they did it, what he did to sort of get the ball rolling. And then how he brought all the initial ideas to all the writers together when they started sitting down <clears throat> and really just getting a, a head start on things mm-hmm. and how they kicked it off instead of showing up on day one, like a writer's meeting going, OK, what are we going to do? <laughs> they didn't take that approach at all. And it was really, really interesting to hear about. Um, but on here's a couple of a uh, couple of quotes here on the season two pacing. Mazzara said that the show slow pacing of the second season was a result of a writing staff that was left to their own devices and were writing by the seat of their pants. That doesn't sound too good. I, I, I'm just wondering how they got the pen to stick. 
Well, some people have those skills. <laughs> or how do you type? Because they probably didn't write, you know, with a pen. Well, that's what I mean. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's amazing that they got anything done. Where does that phrase come from? Uh, see to your pants. I don't know. Your yeah. pants are on fire or something. Maybe liar, and, liar. They're just lying, uh, making stuff I don't up. Know. Anyway, I don't know. phrases, phraseology. On the third season, he says it starts out with a bang. I wrote band in the you notes. Did. It doesn't start out with a band. Oh. <laughs> it starts out with a. a Honky Tonk Band, uh, and a he mentioned band. that people who have read the script described it as balls out, fast, it's fast, it's moving. He said the writers hope to keep that pace going all year. So awesome. here's my worry here, that they're going to overcompensate for the criticism of season two, which I don't think was entirely valid. Right, I, I, and I agree with uh, your your statement that I like the pacing of season two. I had no problems with it whatsoever. <clears throat> yeah. So if they're going to go balls out uh, fast and moving all the time, you know, where they're going to have the character development. Exactly. One of the other things that I heard at the beginning of this interview on my way home today was that he thinks that this is a character drama that is married with a horror show. Right. That's, I think, exactly what he said. And that is the struggle for people to reconcile those two things. Um, and he also said that I think if people, you know, get the DVD, sit down and watch it all in a row marathon style, they're not going to feel that it moves slow. Right. It just moves at the right pace. I would, yeah, I would agree with that. And I think he probably has a has a point there. And I'm just worried, though, after all this criticism, and even, you know, when we hear quotes like this, it's fast, it's moving, that they're going to come back in season three and just plow through stuff, gloss over things that, you know, last year they would have sort of t- taken the time to develop properly. Right. Like every week they're in a new town and yeah. completely new situation and there's random characters kicking around well or i mean if they if they go to the prison and you know i mean they're if they're just based on the comic they're going to go there they're going to run into some people that are there we don't know really but i mean there's interesting things about those characters and there's you know interesting uh or stuff that could be really cool sort of getting to that point yeah but it feels like they might just plow through it all and i don't know just move it too fast and i hope that doesn't happen i'm 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 with you i hope it doesn't happen as well uh, also from the article, the producer told Nerdist that Darabont remained on staff. Uh, the end of the season would have shaped, if Darabont had remained on staff, the end of the season would have shaped up a bit differently. Darabont was reportedly opposed to killing Dale. Hmm. Interesting. And it wasn't until after Darabont was gone that Mazara says he realized that everything Darabont had rejected, including the pitch to kill Dale far earlier in the show than the comics, was back on the table. Hmm. <clears throat> I, you know, that's neither here nor there, but I just think it was kind of interesting to to hear. Yeah, well, you know, when somebody <clears throat> as significant as Darabont leaves the show, mm-hmm. you know, you got to bring things back on the, onto the table. Look what happened with the, when Steve Jobs passed away. There's stuff going on now that uh, Steve Jobs definitely wouldn't have liked. There are rumors of a smaller <clears throat> iPad. A smaller iPad, the whole interface with uh, the Apple TV was rejected. That's what I heard too, yeah. So it's... You're absolutely right. I mean, I guess Mazzara was just like, okay, we can do whatever we want now, so let's start again, come bring all these ideas back and see what may or may not still work. He might have closed his eyes and went, you, you, and you, you're going to die. <laughs> just pointed at random. <laughs> and you're fired. <laughs> you know, Fired, fired, stay, fired, fired, stay, 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 dead, dead, dead. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't see why he wouldn't do that. I mean, shake things up a little bit. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, so AMC have announced a contest to attend the Walking Dead Season 3 premiere. Cool. This is exciting. 
It includes a three-night trip for two to Los Angeles. Nice. You get a meet-and-greet with the cast. Also nice. Nicotero will take you to the KNB effects offices and make a custom zombie bust of you life-size. What's he's going to sculpt it or make you into a zombie bust? Uh, I believe they're going to take a mold of you and then make it into a zombie... uh, zombie bust for you to take home with you i would rather uh pick somebody else because you know i'm claustrophobic so the fact that you would put all this i don't even know what on all over my head would uh, drive me absolutely bananas and i would never do it i would never agree to it so i would rather uh you know pick somebody else okay we'll say i want a zombie bust of them here if you win the contest take me and i'll do the bust and if i win the contest i'll take you and do the bust how's that for a deal sounds like a deal to me (laughs) perfect (laughs) all right the most exciting thing here is that this contest is, in fact, open to residents of the U.S. and Canada. Hooray! Hooray! Uh, most of their contests are not open to Canadians, which it makes, which is fun. We get to finally participate. Doesn't surprise me that most things are not open to Canadians. Probably not available to people in Quebec because of their strange gambling laws and contest rules. But we can enter, and I already have. Nice. So there you go. Go to thewalkingdeadpremiere.com to enter. I highly recommend it. I will click the link and I will enter. Or I don't recommend it because if you don't enter, yeah. then there's more chance nobody, I'll win. Nobody, you don't need to enter this. <laughs> this is a, what contest? a waste of time. I don't know what you're talking about. That would be super fun. I think that uh, for the record, you know, AMC should just bring us down there anyways. And make a bust of us. And make a bust of us. You. and Of me. That's Two busts right. of you. <laughs> I could use a couple of busts. <laughs> um... Just take us down there and uh, show us around. I'd be all for that. That'd be great. You know what? We'll here's 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 what we'll do. I got an idea. All right. It just what are we to gonna me. do? Someone else can win the contest. Bring us down to interview them as the contest winners. Nice. There you go. How do you do that if it's a trip for two? <clears throat> you get to go and I get to stay home. No, no, no. We both go and the two winners go and we meet up and then we do a four person interview. That sounds expensive. <laughs> Whatever, man. For us. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, all righty, moving right along. Telltale's The Walking Dead game has sold a million copies. Nice. One million's a good number. It is a good number. Invented by, invented by the Italians. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it sells a, a million copies. That includes sales across all platforms, the Xbox, the PlayStation, the PC, and the Mac. And Telltale CEO Dan Connors had this to say, Premiering the Walking Dead game series to record numbers across so many diverse platforms is a tremendous achievement that shows the value of bringing strong storytelling and gameplay together. That's awesome. So it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was the, uh, I think, the number one game on the Xbox Live Arcade for a couple of weeks at least. Maybe still is. Hmm. I'm not entirely sure. <clears throat> and IGN, PC Gamer, and the official Xbox magazine gave the game an Editor's Choice Award. Nice. So it's received rave reviews. Great. Including from us, although not quite as strong as everybody else, I think. I liked it. I do, I liked it, too. My biggest problem was the uh, lack of differences based on some of the choices you made. Meh. But you know what? We're only one episode into five, so, I mean, right. there's a lot of ways to go yet. The New York Times said about the game, it has moments of more sadness and subtlety in them than most games that can muster in 40 hours. You're darn right it does. So there you go. It's a good, it's a good game. If you haven't tried it... I say go out and check it out and be one, be, be one million and one copies. That'd be great. You'd be number one million and one. <laughs> All right, we got a couple more items here. The Walking Dead Escape. Have you heard of this? Uh, no. 
it is a San, an obstacle course, a Walking Dead obstacle course that will be at San Diego Comic Con. They are taking over Petco Park, which is a baseball uh, stadium across the street from the convention center. Right. And the official name of this thing is the Walking Dead Escape colon Live the Apocalypse. That colon sounds nasty. <laughs> yeah, you don't want that. Here's the description from the website. A ballpark infested with zombies where you will climb, crawl, hide, and slide your way to safety. Wow. I wonder if you get a Nerf <clears throat> baseball bat. That'd be awesome. The idea here, I think, is that you have to make your way through the course without being touched by a zombie. Wow. You can sign up to be a survivor trying to make your way through, or you can sign up to be a zombie. Right. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know, it sounds kind of kind of fun either way, but also a little bit cheesy. <laughs> well, it's a little hokey. A little hokey. Well, you know, does, is it really 35 to 50 minutes? Apparently, of Walking Dead Madness. Okay, first of all, I'm not sure I could, uh, you know, participate in a an obstacle course with the knees, my knees in the shape that they are right now. I definitely don't think I could do 35 to 50 minutes of climbing, crawling, hiding, sliding. The sliding, maybe, but if take, it was a nice inflatable slide of some kind. <laughs> a bouncy castle. <laughs> a bouncy castle would be nice. Take yourself out of the equation, though. Like, if you were a 25-year-old healthy young man with good knees do you think you'd find this be into this find it fun no not really no eh? <laughs> no see i i think i might but i'm not 100 percent sure about that i looked at the map on the on the site and locations along the run include herd highway right so you know what you're going to encounter there acute zombie infestation fema resupply depot and eventually the evac and decontamination zone apparently the goal is to make it to the evacuation zone without having contact with any walkers um and uh, I guess that's it for, for your $70 ticket. Wait, 70 bucks? 70 bucks. The prices to be a zombie or a spectator are not listed on the site, at least as of when I checked it the other day. See, okay, so the, the biggest problem I would have with something like this, like I think it's a great idea and a lot of people are going to have a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, the, big, the reason I wouldn't participate in this primarily, <laughs> even if I did take my uh, really horrible knees out of, the, uh, out of the equation, is that it seems a little too adversarial to me. It's not, uh, I prefer things where it's me against a clock or me against myself or something like that. Whereas, you know, if I'm actually pitted against human beings dressed up as zombies where I have to do something, they have to try and stop me. Uh, or, you know, if I'm a zombie and I have to try and stop somebody else from doing something, I don't like those kind of games. Well, the thing I worry about is that they're, you know, you sign up to be a, a survivor or a zombie. So they're they're not having people who are sort of trained in the game to be zombies. They're just other contestants. Right. Sort of. Even though they're not trying to do anything other than grab the survivors as they go. It actually just <clears throat> makes it even more dangerous. Probably. The people yeah. are gonna get hurt, right? Well, we hope not, but one of the on the site it does say, you know, no weapons allowed of any kind, real or fake. So there's still going to be people that get way over enthusiastic and you're going to be dodging people who are trying to tackle you one well, way or the other. That's what I think too. You're going to get zombies. I mean, they're probably going to have to sit down and have like a little meeting beforehand and say, here's what you do, zombies. But you are going to get people that are overexcited and are running after you and trying to grab your, or, you know, knock your knees out or something like that. I, I worry about these things. Yeah, absolutely. This sounds, uh, this sounds dangerous. 
It does, but you know what? Even if you have a, please put your knives in this pile, you know, meeting at the beginning. <laughs> please leave all guns in this box. <laughs> yeah. You know, it still sounds dangerous to me. It, it, I, I agree. I think it's probably going to end up being a lot more controlled than we think. Okay, so you might have like, a, uh, what, what is it, Walker Alley or Herd Alley? You'll have Herd Alley where all the zombies are behind a barrier and, you know, you've got some event organizer standing there sort of directing traffic. He's like, oh, here comes the next group because the survivors go in groups. Right. So here comes the next group. Um, okay, zombies, remember, you can only move this fast. They're going to be over there. So, you know, only go this far. If one of them gets out of the way and you grab them, so be it. it it's well, probably going to be more controlled. If they're behind barriers, so you can't cross this barrier kind of thing where they're trying to reach across and, and grab you as you run the gauntlet, you know, maybe. Kind of thing, but if it's just like a, uh, you come around the corner and there's 300 zombies on this road, right? And you've got to put your head down and run and plow your way through them. <laughs> that's a bad idea. Well, that's the thing. They're not. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be, the zombies must be organized in some way. Okay, so you've they're going to water it down so much that it probably won't be all that fun anyway. Probably not. Right. It's it's unfortunate because it sounds like it could be fun, but how do you do this? You'd have to hire like actors to be the zombies. Who are trained in what they're supposed to do. You now, know? you know what I could see as a game? You ever watch uh, the Eco Challenge? Nope. Uh, you know Mark Burnett? Yes. He uh, invented Survivor. Right. He's actually a, uh, a really cool uh, game designer. He designs li- a lot of, uh, uh, what do you call those, reality television games. He mm-hmm. also does, did this uh, Eco <laughs> Challenge where they had teams of four that uh, basically had this... Um, uh, what is it called? Basically, you, you team of four where you had all your equipment in your uh, in your backpack, and you had to go through this obstacle course that took four or five days. Right, there was That's a, a long time. There's a cycling challenge. There's a running challenge. There's a rock climbing challenge, and basically the the top teams are completely exhausted by the end of this thing. And people get hurt doing this because they push their, themselves way too far. And there was even uh, you know one. Uh, one time I was watching it, this guy was on a bike, and he was so tired that he, he jumped, like he was riding down a road, down a rocky road downhill, and he took this jump that only took about a second and a half in the air, but that time, uh, while he was in the air, was so smooth and nice that he fell asleep. Come on. He fell, as- a- he fell asleep in the air, and when he landed, he was completely uh, asleep and like completely wiped out, and they had to uh, medevac him out. You can't fall asleep in a <clears throat> second and a half. Sure you can. If you're tired enough... <clears throat> Good night, Lacey. You're done. So this kind of thing I could see where you have, uh, you know, Mark Burnett designing a game for professional athletes or contestants in a group to try and survive for a certain uh, length of time in a zombie apocalypse, and you run it over a season of like 20 episodes. I would watch that. Actually, a reality to- show with zombies might actually not be a terrible idea. And if you get caught and you become a zombie, you become a zombie and you try and stop everybody else. Yeah, see what happens. All right, we got to write Mark Burnett and get him uh, get him on board with this. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I'd, I'd, that'd be the only reality show I watch. Right. Probably. <clears throat> Although it's still reality, so it's probably still scripted and controlled too much. Yeah, this sounds like American Gladiator without pro- professionals. Right, and what could possibly go wrong? Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, if you are going to participate in The Walking Dead Escape, colon, Live the Apocalypse, let us know and... You know, maybe you can let us know how it goes after and, and what what was involved leading up to it and all that kind of stuff. Take pictures. Take pictures. I want to see what this course looks like. 
I'm sure there were, there's, yeah, there's a map on the site that's just a, a drawing, an illustration of it, but I don't know what it that's actually That's the plan. Is. Who knows what's <clears throat> going to happen for real, eh? Well, exactly. You put a bunch of zombies in a, you know, contained area, hell, hell's going to break loose. Yeah. It's inside the ballpark, so you go, like, back and forth up the levels or something. I don't know. We will see. Last item in the news this week, Robert Kirkman talks to comicbookresources.com, mostly about the um, uh, issue number 100 that's coming up very soon Mm -hmm. he says i can say that issue number 100 is going to easily be the most gruesome most violent disturbing issue of the walking dead yet so be on the lookout yet when i say that i do remember all of the gruesome disturbing and violent things that have happened in the walking dead thus far so i promise i mean it nice (laughs) (laughs) and he's right a lot of gruesome disturbing and violent things have happened in that comic so issue number 100 uh it could be could mean anything. Could anything could happen? Right. It's insane. Aliens come down. That already happened. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you remember issue number uh, seventy nine? Yeah, absolutely. The alien issue. Um, he also in the interview discusses the development of Thief of Thieves into an AMC show. So if you're into that, that's kind of interesting too. Cool. But it's a really really good art um, interview, and I highly recommend it. So go to our site at. Uh, talkingdeadpodcast.com and there'll be a link there to the whole interview if you want to check it out groovy alrighty when we come back after a short break we're going to do our actor spotlight on David Morrissey we also have some listener feedback and uh, stay tuned so stay tuned for that we will be right back after letting you know about our sponsor this week which is Audible for the listeners of the Talking Dead podcast Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30 day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service you can choose from one of their 100,000 available titles, which you have done for the listeners this week, haven't you, Jason? Yeah, I've tried. You know, I'm going to recommend the book that I'm listening to right now. It's by uh, Tom Clancy. It's called Red Rabbit, and it's actually in the uh, the Jack Ryan series. It's a prequel, so it goes back to uh, Jack Ryan's early days in the uh, in the CIA, where in 1981. So he's helping someone uh, essentially defect from the uh, from Russia. Mm-hmm. To the United States, so the Red Red Rabbit. Uh, so it's actually Jack Ryan, Book Eleven. Good Lord! I was just going to ask. I didn't know how many how many there were, but that's a lot of books. There's a lot, and you know, I went through the list, and oh my God, I've read a lot of them, and I didn't even know it. <clears throat> so this is kind of a a prequel to some of the other ones. It it's happens a, before. It's a prequel, so it's a it's a, the first Jack Ryan book was Hunt for Red October. Right. right? This happens before that. Okay. So it is a, a true prequel. He's still, you know, he's married to his wife still and has his daughter. You remember in Clear and Present Danger or whatever it was? Did, uh, did you watch the movies? I'm, I don't know. I may have seen one of the movies. Did was, they, they, I, I remember Harrison Ford. Yeah, it was Harrison Ford and Sean Bean. I don't remember that. Uh, yeah, he was an Irish. I think it was Sean Bean. Oh, good Lord. Uh, anyway, the Irish are come after uh, Jack Ryan. Okay. Sean Bean, well, that that sounds right, now but he's uh, he's. When was that movie out? Because he's not that old. Well, now I got to look it up. You, give me a second here, but uh, I'm going to recommend Red Rabbit. It comes in at. Uh, oh, I lost the audible link there. Uh, Twenty six hours and one minute. That one minute. That's the best minute of the <laughs> whole book. I bet. I bet it is. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash talkingdead to get your free audiobook. All righty. Still looking that up? Yeah, I'm looking for Patriot Games here. Maybe, maybe. Oh, yeah, Sean Bean was in Patriot Games with, uh, with Harrison Ford in, uh, what year was that? 1992. 
1992. Okay. Well, Sean Bean, I don't think is that old, but he he might be older than I think. James Earl Jones. <laughs> How's that for a wraparound sentence? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's see. Uh, well, let's find out how old he is here. He, uh, 1959. Oh, my God. He's older than I thought. Yeah. All right. So it, the math works. He Spe- dies in everything. Speaking of Sean Bean, it is now time to do our actor spotlight on David Morrissey. David Morrissey. Sean Bean was in one of the, or a couple of the things we watched for this, but we're going to start with something else. Okay. Let's start with Blackpool. Blackpool. Episode number one. This was a British TV show. Yep. From the 90s, I think, and the IMDb description is thus. Soon after local entrepreneur Ripley Holden opens his arcade in his beloved hometown of Blackpool, a murder investigation makes... uh, Makes tears. <laughs> makes tears. <laughs> it makes tears at the fabric. A murder invet. Who wrote this? A murder investigation <laughs> tears at the fabric of his personal and professional lives. Right. I guess. Thank you, IMDb. It was directed by Julie Ann Robinson, starring Sarah Parrish, David Tennant, mm-hmm. and David Morrissey as Ripley Holden. So we watched the first episode of this yes. uh, TV series. Mostly. Well, I watched it. Well, I watched most of it, but I hated it so much I had to turn it off. I could not get through it. Really? Really. I actually hated it. Actually enjoyed it. Really? I I, I did. How, how, like most of it? Like through half, three quarters? Uh, I got to right where uh, David Tennant shows up. Is that early on? Uh, No, that's late-ish. Yeah, so I got to David Tennant and I'm like, you know, even though David Tennant's on this, I can't watch this. Okay, David Tennant, awesome. Yeah. David Morrissey, I thought, was awesome in this. Oh, I hated his character so much. <laughs> hated it. <laughs> Which is funny, because we'll talk about it a little more. I feel like he played this character in some of the other stuff we watched, too. But, he did. But, okay. Yeah. So, Blackpool, it's that's the description. He opens this uh, arcade, also known as a casino in North sort America. Sort of. It had video games. It did have some video games. And someone, a dead body shows up and there's a murder investigation. The funny thing is it's also a musical. So (laughs) they break into song and dance at least two or three times over the course of the hour. Right. And I think I may actually have a soft spot for musicals. Or this kind of musical production. You need to watch a show called Cop Rock. Never heard of it. You should watch this show. There's only like 10 episodes out there, but it is a uh, a police whodunit kind of thing, like Law and Order meets uh, some kind of weird musical. <laughs> that sounds great to me. I don't know it why. Was a, it, was, it was a stupid show, but I enjoyed it. I watched all <laughs> like eight or nine episodes or however many they were. It was playing on A&E one time way back in the 80s or the early 90s, <laughs> and uh, I thought it was great. All right. Well, I enjoyed Blackpool. I enjoyed the, the, I just sort of enjoyed the look of it. I enjoyed the way it was acted. I thought David Morrissey's character was entertaining. This like arrogant shit talking guy who didn't take, you know, crap from anybody. And then they would start singing and dancing every once in a while. I liked it a lot. David Tennant was fantastic as the inspector, the investigator. I I couldn't, I can't think of anything that, uh, that I liked about this show other than, you know, just David Tennant as a person. Or as an actor, and I that couldn't even make me watch this show any longer. Wow, Inter- that's that's crazy. I hated it. It, it was nowhere. It. I'm I'm actually thinking of watching the rest of this the season. There's only one, six episodes, I think. Wow, I hope you uh, enjoy it. That's crazy. Uh, I'm erasing it from continuity. All right. I don't want to even remember this show. <laughs> that's incredible. Would you say? Let's let's give a spoiler for your opinions here. Would you say this is 
the the thing you liked the least of everything we watched? Absolutely, one hundred percent, by far. Uh, not by far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but it it is number one disliked the most. Okay. Well, with that in mind, then let's talk about the reaping. Hey, number two. All why, right. why don't you read the description? Oh, I don't one. even know. Okay, so IMDb description. A former Christian missionary who specializes in debunking religious phenomena investigates a small town which seems to be suffering from the ten biblical plagues. Uh, director Stephen Hopkins starring Hilary Swank, uh, I- Idris, Idris, Idris Elba, uh, Anna Sophia Robb, and David Morrissey as Doug. So this is the one I hated the most. Really? My God, I hated this well, movie. Well, Hilary Swank is... Uh, you was know, terrible. Well, she's this. terrible in everything. Ah, come on. There's a couple of things. I think Boys Don't Cry, I liked her in. She won an Oscar for that. Uh, it was like her first movie or something like that. There was also the one where she was a boxer. Yeah, I know the one. Um, but that's what happens. Boys Don't Cry. That was her first movie? I think so. Well, that's what happens. When you win an award, an award for your first thing, oh, yeah. almost always you go downhill. Um, that's not true for, oh my God. Um, she was the little girl in The Professional. No, she wasn't. Not Hilary Swank, the, oh, one, the person uh, I'm thinking of. What's her eyebrows? Yeah, she was... Uh, she won an Oscar for that, right? Padwin. God damn, no. She didn't win an Oscar for that. No, she didn't win an Oscar I'm thinking for that. Of, I'm thinking of Sookie Stackhouse. She won an Oscar early on. Oh yeah, she on. did for pian- the piano. Right, and mostly has gone downhill. I mean, True Blood is awesome, but... I can't think of a lot of other stuff that I've seen her. No, in no, she was well. She was in X Men. Yeah, she wasn't good. She, well, <laughs> she wasn't bad though. She was just somewhat forgettable in X Men. Million Dollar Baby is the other Million one. Million Dollar Baby. All right. So what was her first movie here? Nineteen ninety. Oh no, Hillary Swank. Yeah, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Not a movie, uh, unless that was the movie, because there was a movie. No. Oh, the the next Karate Kid. Oh, <laughs> that was a long time ago. Oh, God. No, Boys Don't Cry was. Uh, I can't even find it on there. Okay. List. Well, let's let's talk is. about the reaping for 1999. <clears throat> I thought everything about this movie was terrible. It's the it was the script was terrible. I thought the acting was pretty bad. Yep. David Morrissey like what what kind of accent was he doing in this movie? A bad one? I mean, it was, it was supposed to be southern bible belt kind of thing, but it was but he still sounded kind of British. In yeah, it. that's okay. And <laughs> I'm not sure it is. <laughs> and you know, that's that might not be a good a good omen. I'm not considering a, he's a British guy that has to play a southern dude uh, in The Walking Dead. Andrew Lincoln manages to pull it off most of the time. Yeah. You know, Lauren Cohen with her funny little British accent does a pretty good job, yeah. better than Andrew Lincoln, I think. Well, you think that he'll have a good coaches, right? I hope so. Or maybe he's just really a good accent man, and we haven't really heard him do it one yet. Or, or maybe the director was like, yeah, I don't care. You know, we'll take it. We'll take it. Like, you know, every time he shot a scene with him uh, using his British accent slipping in, instead of going, hey, we need to reshoot this. Let's do another take. And, you know, buddy, work on your accent. He just went, yeah, fine. Take it. Yeah. Like a very Ed Wood kind of style. Perfect. Let's do it. Print it. Like, yeah. That was horrible. I, I noticed some poor production values in this movie, too. It opens with a shot panning over a, a city. Yeah. It looks like the fakest thing I've ever seen. It looks like nothing. It looks like the camera panning over a matte painting. Oh, there was matte paintings all over the place where, you know, <laughs> uh, where Doug and Hillary Swank's character were walking through his plantation area, right? There was all these beautiful lush trees around them. And then, then the two of them are walking in the middle of the screen. It's just like, oh, that was horrible. It's like they're on a treadmill and the background's moving behind them, yeah. you know? It, it didn't look good. 
Um, so I, I made a note of that. David Morrissey's accent was bad. Um, it's the kind of movie where event after event that is completely ridiculous is taking place, yet characters continue to be skepti- skeptical about what they're seeing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where stuff's happening that is completely beyond the realm of possibility, but someone's standing around not believing what they're seeing. And I, I just can't buy into that. It's so dumb. Well, I'm not a big fan of uh, religious thrillers either. Right? <laughs> well, yeah. Just just in general. Uh, and about, uh, you know, potential, uh, you know, magic. I don't even want to, uh, you know, call it magic stuff uh, that happens in a... Uh, a small town uh, off the beaten path kind of thing or right. in some kind of weird foreign country. You know, what was that movie I'm thinking of um, where the guy goes down into some southern uh, North American or, you know, South American country and... I don't know. Sounds like all the... Bill m- Pullman. <clears throat> oh, Bill Pullman, the um, the zombie movie. Yeah. Yeah, that that semi, semi um, documentary type one. Yeah, that was horrible. I hated that movie. <laughs> well, a lot of those movies have the same kind of things, where people are witnessing things that are absolutely fantastical, but insist on not believing they're happening. Like the scene in The Reaping where David Morrissey's uh, standing there barbecuing stuff, right. cooking some fish. Yeah. Everything looks fine. He looks away. Uh-huh, when he uh-huh. looks back, it's yeah. rotted and covered in maggots. Maggots and flies. And, maggots and flies and looked horrible. everywhere. Like the special effects of that were bad. Well, and and Hillary Swank just like blows it off like, oh, there's I'm, you know, I'm sure there's a scientific explanation for this kind well, of thing. Yeah, she's a skeptic. But at a certain point, when you witness something, skepticism goes out the window. Well, that's the whole point of the movie is that eventually she does come around where skepticism goes out the window. She does. Um, as, especially at the end when the twist is revealed, and we won't give it away, but, you know, you can probably see it coming if you're paying attention. Right. Or if you've seen a movie before in your life, you probably know <laughs> what's going to happen in this Have you ever, If you've ever seen a plot twist, you've <laughs> you, seen this movie. You've seen this movie, <laughs> exactly. A couple other things I noted about this. Uh, Idris Elba is doing a, an autopsy with his shirt off at one point. I'm sorry, you don't do autopsies with your shirt off. Makes no sense. <laughs> but he had the bullet holes and stuff. He's British too, isn't he? Uh, I don't know. I believe he is. I'm not sure. Um, so the horror in this film is supposed to be created by the onset of the plagues of the apocalypse, as we said. Right. Um, but it also employs a bunch of traditional horror tropes, I noticed. Right. Like there's a scene where they're in the house and there's a thunderstorm outside and then all the power goes off. Yeah. And you know the scariness is coming from the fact that it's dark and she's creeping around in the dark yeah, house or whatever. Those. <laughs> you know, just the one. You know, it was just double speed, right? It wasn't very terribly bad. I just went, yeah, click. I'd watch <laughs> you only watch by. about fifty percent of this. Stuff, no, I dude. watched it because I knew what was going to happen. This is supposed to be scary. It's supposed to be unknown. It's dark. She doesn't know what's around the corner. Right. It's going to last for fifteen friggin' minutes. You know, I don't have time for this. I don't have a desire for this. Fast forward. I'll get to the next plot point. And Thank like, you very much. And you know, like I said, if you've seen a movie before, you know basically what's coming. Yeah, Idris Elba was. Uh, he's from. Hackney, London. So okay, he's, he's well, in. see, I didn't hear. <laughs> did he have a British accent in the movie? No, he's great. See, he, he did was a in good The Wire. Job. He was like one of the major characters in The Wire, and he was fantastic. There you go. He's a great actor. Good actor him. in a bad movie. One other thing, David Morrissey had to dive into the river of blood at one point. Right, that kind of grossed me out. 
Well, I think that... Especially after uh, establishing in the movie that it actually was a river of blood. Again, something that they're like, oh, you know, she explains it by some long, ridiculous chain of explanations from the Dark Ages. Well, yeah, because they're... You know, it's maybe uh, a bunch of was it frog eggs? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Red all, frog eggs all everywhere. Brought on by a million other chain reaction events. So uh, it was bad. David Morrissey was not very good in this. No, even he though wasn't. he was fantastic in Blackpool, I liked him better in the second half of this movie, without giving any spoilers away, than I did in the first half of the movie. Okay, and I'll I'll come back to uh, like when we do an overview after we cover the individual things. I have some overview thoughts. Yeah, on David Morris. Me too, actually. So let's talk about Stone from IMDb, <laughs> a chronicle of the sordid life and suspicious death of Rolling Stone's co-founder Brian Jones, who was found in the bottom of his swimming pool weeks after being let go from the band. Directed by Stephen Woolley, starring Leo Gregory, Patty Considine, Monet Mazur, and David Morrissey as Tom Keelock. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Keelock was the tour manager for the Rolling Stones, if I'm not mistaken. He was, yeah. <clears throat> uh, this movie I liked more than I thought I would. Really? Yes. I didn't like this movie, and I knew that I wouldn't like it. I watched the trailer, <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, i got to watch this? Well, that's why I chose it, to be quite honest with you, because the trailer, <laughs> I thought, didn't make it look very good. No. And I wanted to see... It was an accurate portrayal of the movie, though. Uh, no, I don't think it was. I think this movie was better than the trailer made it look. Uh, I thought... David Morrissey in this probably was the most um, charismatic of anything we saw him in. Uh, it was the same character as Blackpool. And that's what I, it kind of was the same character. And I as hated Blackpool. it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not his character that made Blackpool bad. If you you know, I don't even think it was bad. But um, I think it was the same character. But I think it worked. And you know, this movie, while it had some questionable acting, um. I don't know. It worked for me, and I found at least the story of, or this interpretation of the story of uh, Brian <laughs> Jones, a kind of a fascinating. one. Do you like the Rolling Stones? Yeah, yeah. I don't love them, but I like them. I don't like the Rolling Stones. I've never liked the Rolling Stones. I've I've never understood the Rolling Stones. We'll just you know, you're going to get hate mail for that. I know, absolutely. I <laughs> I just I, it, it's they they their music has never really spoken to me. I've never really been able to get on board with any of their songs. <clears throat> I don't like the Rolling Stones. I have no interest in them. I know who Mick Jagger and Keith Richards is. I had no idea who this Brian guy was. Right, but you, this movie's not about the Rolling Stones. They're, no, it's they're not. barely in it. Although the guy who played Keith Richards, I thought did a great job. Well, the the Mick Jagger guy, I thought looked looked like him too. Well, the Keith Richards hair was just perfect. Well, yeah. <laughs> If you're going to have Keith Richards, you got to have that haircut, and that's it. Well, that's, it's his dis- defining feature, I guess. Forget guitar playing. Yeah, forget that guitar <laughs> crap. Um, so I thought this movie had a cool opening uh, opening concert footage scene with camera flashes going off and still frames. Right. It, that drew me in. I thought that was neat. Um, and I don't know what it was. It, it, it worked for me because... It was an interesting story, and it was an interesting take on Brian Jones. Even though I didn't know much about the story going in, I read a lot about it after watching this. It, right. it, it interested me enough. Well, what's his eyebrows admitted that he killed him at the in uh, after, on his deathbed, right? That's never been confirmed. Frank Thorogood? Yeah, Frank Thorogood, played by Patty Considine. Mm-hmm. He's a great actor. I oh, like yeah. Patty Considine. Yeah, he, he was the only redeeming quality in this movie, as far as I'm concerned. What about all the nudity? <laughs> you know, I don't care about nudity. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Well, you know, not when it comes to, you know, movies and stuff. You know, watching a movie so that because it has nudity is not something I would want to do. You know, nudity can be used properly. Absolutely. It can be used 
gratuitously, you know, and I enjoy gratuitous nudity sometimes. Nudity. Nudity, but uh, which there was some in this. Oh, there was a lot. There was a female nudity, male nudity. There was everything you could want here. Um, the other thing I thought about this is the, the movie had a psychedelic feel to it. You know, the camera would wave around a lot. There was all kinds of fancy colors in certain scenes, and I thought it kind of depicted the era and the mentality of Brian Jones well. You think so? Yeah, I think so. I thought I his shirt selection really said something about his personality and the era <laughs> that's true too but i think that's the kind of guy he was you know right he wore puffy flowing feminine type shirts a lot of the time you know britain in the 60s what are you gonna do <laughs> i you know i didn't live through it but i just get a feeling that you wear a british flag for a shirt he wore an american oh, flag. An american flag for a shirt yeah and, and something like a puffy shirt that oh yeah i thought his shirt selection was awesome <laughs> it was pretty good um, wasn't, wasn't you know I think what really bothered me the most about this movie was his haircut. Well, his his hair was very seventies, which it was which was ahead of its time back then. It just it bothered me every time. It's like okay, I just I can't get over this guy's haircut. <laughs> That's a nitpick, man. It, it is a nitpick, but these little things just irritate me to no end. And if there's a lot of things that stack up as far as irritations go, just the whole movie goes out the window. All right, so not a good track record for you yet. On anything we've seen. Not yet. I've at least liked a couple of these things. I mean, I'm not going to go back and rewatch Stoned, but I I, I thought it was pretty good. One scene involving David Morrissey at, Morrissey at the end I thought was amazing. That it's was when, fantastic. Yeah, it, that one. Exactly. They're standing there <clears throat> around a fire, and they're doing something, and him and Patty Constantine are having a conversation. I yeah. thought that was the best scene of the movie. Absolutely. And I thought David Morrissey did a great job in that scene. Yep. Um being a similar character to Blackpool, only better. And I think it says something about what he'll be able to bring to the government. Well, yes, too. and this this has has to do with the overall uh, discussion on David Morrissey that we're going to have after the next next thing. But yes, I agree with you. That scene was fantastic. Okay. Love that scene. At least we can agree there. Yes. Okay, so the last thing we watched is the Red Riding trilogy. We watched all three of them, right? Yes, we did. <clears throat> and this is the reason we had to delay this, because I originally picked the first movie. Right. Turns out he's not really in it. He was in the f opening scene. <laughs> and then another scene later that was part of a montage. That's so right, yeah. Really wasn't there. Good times. He's in the second movie a little bit more, yeah. and the third movie essentially is about him. Right. So... Um, what's the description for this one? Uh, let me get back to, I don't have it. Where is it? There it is. IMDb description. Police corruption is exposed in Yorkshire, England, based on the novels by David Pierce. Detailed. Directed by a variety of people and starring a variety of people, including David Morrissey, as Maurice Jobson. Maurice. He is um, a high-ranking inspector in the um, Yorkshire police. Right. And Detective inspector. Detective inspector. The whole trilogy is essentially about police corruption, and it is exposed through some different takes on some crimes that have happened over uh, a series of years right. in that town. So I'll let you start. What did you think about this trilogy? Is there anything redeeming about these series of movies? Flat out loved it. See? Absolutely loved this whole series. There we go. Great. <laughs> Jenny and I watched this thing. It's it's right up our alley. British uh, cop story whodunits. And it's complex, Fantastic. too. Oh, very, very dense. It doesn't, it's very dense. It's complex. Who's it doesn't. What, yeah, what's going on? <laughs> there is some of that going on there. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing that would benefit from, from an, a repeat viewing. 
You know, I oh, think yeah. you would get more out of it watching these three movies again. Um, the first one has Andrew Garfield, who's going to be playing Spider-Man this right. summer. Yep. Uh, the I, second he did one, a good job too. He did a great job. It's yeah. one of his earlier roles too. Yeah. If he was on The Walking Dead, we could talk about him. Yeah. And say oh. how good he was. Also has a British accent, but he was born in England and raised in the States or the other way around, I forget. That I don't know. His One of his parents is British and the other one's uh, America. I think he was either born in the States and raised in England or born in England and raised in the States. All right. So that accent was semi-real. Well, it sounded good to me. Yeah. Uh, the second movie has Patty Considine again. Mm-hmm. He's sort of the main character in that one. Again, did a great job. And the third movie, which is 1983, yep. was really about David Morrissey and his redemption as a corrupt police officer. Yeah, absolutely. It was... Which one did you like the best? I liked them all. The whole series was, was fantastic. Yeah, they all run... They all work together as a trilogy very absolutely. well, too. Um, I I don't know if I could choose my favorite either, but I really liked the first one. I really did. Yeah, and I really liked the third one. I, I, but the then middle, when you say that, the second one was really great too. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's tough. It was a great series. We watched it three three nights. We watched uh, one each. It was uh, it was fantastic. Loved it. It's right up our alley. It's the kind of thing we just absolutely love. Well, good. I I recommend going back to rewatch it. I might actually do that. And there's a lot of people in this uh, in this show that are fantastic actors that I love from other shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Sheehan, who played BJ. Oh, yeah. Uh, from he, um, Misfits. Misfits, that's right. <clears throat> he, this really gives me hope for this actor because in Mis- Misfits, he's comic relief in, in sort of a comedy show, uh, but he's fantastic as a kind of over-the-top, funny, uh, just ridiculous guy. And in this series, he's, you know, dead serious. Right, and it's a very dramatic role that he's playing, and he does such a fantastic job at that too. Slight spoiler, but did it bother you at all that they named the male prostitute BJ? Well, yeah. Like, come on. (laughs) You know, of all the names they could pick, what are you gonna do? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it really got to me that much, but like, you can't not notice that when you're watching. And the head police guy, he's from. uh, Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. and also uh, what's his name from? Uh, damn it, what's his name? Andrew Garfield, his girlfriend. Uh, she worked at the uh, at the paper. Mm-hmm. She's also in Downton Abbey. Okay, both great characters. So there's lots of. Someday I'll watch Downton Abbey. You should, because it's a good show. I know, but the hype is too much, and I'm going to watch it now and be like, "What the hell is this?" It's good. I need to That's wait. This, I need to wait. This is good. Okay, so Red Riding trilogy is fantastic. David Morrissey in the third movie, is really good. Yep. He plays a little bit of a different character than Blackpool and Stone. Yep. And definitely different than The Reaping. Yep. Um, This was the best he's been in anything I've seen him in, which may only, the only other thing may include that episode of the Doctor, of Doctor Who. I haven't seen that. The next Doctor he was in. Uh, He's good in that too, but uh, even better in this. So, David Morrissey... As an actor, do you think he has anything to bring to the governor? Well, I have two opinions about David Morrissey. One, when he's trying to be the kind of upbeat, charming guy, mm-hmm. I don't like him. Mm-hmm. Like when he at the beginning of the reaping, when he was Doug, he was supposed to be this you know charming love interest kind of guy. Yeah, hated it. In uh, Blackpool, he was this kind of take no shit kind of charming dude that's trying to accomplish his life goals. Hated the minute. I don't. I don't know if I'd call him charming in Blackpool. I'd call him, you know, attempted uh, charming. Well, no, I'd call him sort of takes what he wants. You know, doesn't think about anyone else's 
feelings, concerns, issues, just does what he wants. Right. And he'll say anything he wants to, you know, meet, uh, get, get what he wants. But on the other hand, when he's playing the, the darker, serious roles, like at the end of Stoned, when he, that, uh, the scene where he's over the fire and they're burning Brian, whatever's his, his eyebrows, his stuff so that people don't ransack his house and steal it. When he's burning it, he's, it's, that had that kind of dark feel to it. And when he plays that darker role or the darker aspect of the role, I thought he did a great job. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, if he can bring that, to the Walking Dead, I think as the governor, he's going to be fantastic. I think there's got to be a balance of that and the shit talking showman too, though. Like the governor has to be able to lead these people, and you know, be a charismatic enough leader that they want to follow him, right? Yeah. And do what he wants, and you know, you can do that by being a big talker who sort of doesn't take no for an answer. Um, that is one of the <clears throat> qualities of a dictator, after all. I would think. Yeah. But he's, um, he can't be a happy-go-lucky, you know, talking guy. Uh, no, not like not like Blackpool, that's for sure. Um, more like the stoned character. Yeah. He's a little darker, but also, you know, isn't afraid to speak his mind. Well, at the beginning of that, he was supposed to be this sort of happy-go-lucky, hey, look at me, I'm the uh, tour manager of the Rolling Stones, you know, we sure, come on into the house, let me show you around, that kind of thing. He's, he's trying to be charming and stuff. I don't like that. Right. I want him to be dark and serious and menacing. Mm-hmm. And everything he, when he was being dark and serious and menacing, I thought he was fantastic. I agree. Uh, and I think he, I think he's got to bring some of that to to uh, to the governor. You know, in the third uh, Red Riding movie, he, it's I wouldn't even call him serious and menacing. I mean, in some scenes he definitely is. Yeah. But he's conflicted, and uh, absolutely, I don't know that the governor really has much conflict in him about what he's no, you know, he about what he's doing and what's the right thing to do. No, the governor is not a conflicted character. The governor knows what he wants and what he's trying to do. So I think a little bit from all of these characters will factor in. Um, I I do now think that David Morrissey is probably a good choice to play this. Yep. And uh, I'm curious to see, you know, what he can do with it because he's clearly a good actor, clearly fairly versatile. And uh, you know he'll have some interesting stuff to do. Yeah, absolutely. In these in these shows, uh, when when he was the characters he was playing, what I liked, I loved. What I didn't like, I hated. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's very black and white. This stuff is all very black and white for me. All right. Well, um, we're gonna watch the rest of the Blackpool and talk about it next time. No, we are not. <laughs> we are done with that show. All right. Um, I am. You can watch whatever you'd like. I may watch it. So there you go. If you have any thoughts on David Morrissey in anything else that he's been in, by all means, send in your comments to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to check him out. I think he's pretty cool. I think he's going to bring a lot to the role of the governor. You agree? I do. I would say, even though you hated him in a couple of these things. <clears throat> yeah, well, it, in, in what I think as the non-governor roles. <laughs> right. We got a call from Kevin in Oregon about the governor. Uh, it, not specifically related to this stuff, but here's what Kevin had to say. Hey guys, my name is Kevin from Portland, Oregon, and we have tons of zombie stuff. I don't know if you ever knew that. Zombie walk, all that kind of crazy stuff up here. But I wanted to ask you about uh, the governor, and just to let you know that I don't really like TV, Carl. I wish he'd go away. Uh, comic book Carl really kind of creeped me out. I thought he was just, wow, he was really weird. Anyways, but about the governor, I, I don't see the fascination with the governor. He is a creepy, weirdo, rapist, 
kind of guy. I mean, like, I wonder if they're going to go so far as to have the child from the comic book in the actual TV show, the one where he pulls all her teeth out and he's making out with her or kissing her, I guess, whatever. Whatever it is, it was fucking disturbing. Oh, I shouldn't be cussing. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, that is uh, that was really over the top. And I guess I don't understand the fascination of this guy just because he's, he's really messed up. Anyways, you guys have a nice day. And uh, Akamagash. So, uh, as much as I can understand where Kevin's coming from, I think those are probably some of the reasons that people are fascinated with the governor. Right. Because he is so messed up. He, he's pretty messed up. And just for clarity, in the comic, that girl is his daughter. Yep. And uh, he does do some weird stuff. Not all of it on screen or on panel. But um, uh, it's not just some kid he found and has decided to you know do weird things with. So. Right. Uh, but he's definitely, you know, not a good guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that's part of what people, uh, you know, don't identify with. But that's what they're like, oh, my God, he's so evil. I got to find out what he does next. Well, this is what, uh, an, you know, you take all the constraints of human society off of somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're either going to rise to the challenge and try and, you know, save the world. Or they're going to become the governor because they don't have any constraints on them anymore. Yeah, exactly. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, All righty. So that is going to do it for David Morrissey and the governor. Next, we've got Holy Crap. Holy Crap. Did you see that? All right. A couple of quick ones today. Joseph from the internet wrote in and said, I just finished watching Judge Jury Executioner episode again. I noticed before that Shane had extra bullets in the back of the vehicle he took from the side of the road, but I noticed this time that he hid them in the spare tire cove of the car. You know, at some point that has to play a part in season three. What are your thoughts how that might play out? I remember the scene. Do you remember the scene? I do not. He's putting something in the, under uh, the wheel well of of the car. Right. Um, And then we don't see it again, and then he's killed off. So they may just forget about this. They probably will. Yeah, it's it seems like a fairly, um, you know, it's it, they showed it to us, so they obviously it obviously means something, and maybe they were thinking of going back to us, but it's not uncommon for a TV show to take something that might be easily forgettable and just sort of move on from right. it. Because um, if, if he was indeed hiding bullets, I'm not sure about that, but I'll take Joseph's word for it. Maybe it's this extra key. Yeah, that's right. So when he locks himself out of the car, he knows where the key is. Well, absolutely. That's what people do, right? Well, I assume. Yeah. I don't have an extra key hidden on my car. I should. Sometimes I worry about losing my keys and have to <laughs> call my wife and figure out how to get the keys. You worry about that. It's never happened. Something, yeah, it's never happened. I haven't lost keys in it's probably why you worry about 30 it. years, but uh, yeah, I worry about it. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. Um, so I, I don't really know if they're going to come back to it. Uh Hard to say how it may or may not play out. I, I don't know. I mean, if there's extra ammo on there, maybe someone's going to get pinned up against the car and they'll reach down as they're about to be, you know, eaten by a zombie and suddenly find more bullets and load their gun and save themselves. I don't, I don't know. Hooray. <clears throat> righty. We have... Oh, I didn't set up Isaiah's clip. I have a clip from Isaiah. And here it comes. Hey, guys. Isaiah calling from California. Um, I have a holy crap. Did you see that moment? Um, it's when Carl actually kills his first walker, which happens to be Zombie Shane and uh, Better Angels, and doesn't freak out or like 
do something stupid and throw a rock at it. <laughs> like the, the zombie that killed Dale. So, yeah. Proud of Carl. Right. Proud of Carl. So I think Isaiah just wanted to just wanted to give Carl some love there for, for not being such a wimp this time. Yeah, good. For pulling the trigger. <clears throat> and that was pretty exciting. All righty. Time for listener feedback. Listener feedback. All right. Natalie so, Portman. Na- <laughs> Natalie Portman is who you were thinking of uh, earlier. Who did not win an Oscar she for did the not, professional. No, she did not. She no. was good in it, but... Uh, or Leon. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that, that's out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's how the brain works. You can't... Uh, once you build the wall, you're screwed. You have to wait to get around that uh, that mental block. It was Natalie Portman, but who I was actually thinking of was indeed Soki Stackhouse. Right. Whose real name I can't remember now anyways. Doesn't matter. Okay, a couple of episodes ago, we had someone write in with their favorite way to kill a zombie, and I suggested people write in their favorite ways to kill a zombie. So if you haven't done that and you've got some thoughts, send them in. Um, I'm still collecting some of those, and we will read them on a future show. Anything you want to do about how to kill zombies, how to escape zombies, anything that you think might help in the zombie apocalypse. We'll create a database of this, put it online, and then you can refer to it when it actually happens. How about that? Because the internet will be around for at least 20 minutes after the zombie apocalypse kicks off. You know what? If you happen to be on the internet anyway, looking at a computer, you'll have all the information there for you. That's true. All right. Uh, TJ on our Facebook page posted this about uh, something happening to a different character in the show versus the comic. He says, hey, I got a prediction on what Kirkman meant by different characters doing what some of the comic characters did in the comics. Jason had said, maybe someone else will say the whole we are the walking deadline, which is not a bad prediction, but I got a feeling one of the TV characters is going to go out the way Alan did. I just feel like it's an obvious answer to getting, uh, to getting bitten in the arm or leg to just cut off the limb. Obviously, it can't happen to Alan. I see maybe Herschel or Carol. What do you think? I don't know. So, if you will recall, Alan, early on in the comic, gets bit. They try to cut off the limb that gets bit. Yep. Doesn't work, and he dies. Right. Um, they've... By a lurker. I believe, yeah, exactly. That was the first real occurrence of a lurker. Uh, you're probably right. He was just hanging out, and Alan walked by, and, yep. and he's done. In the dark. Now, I think they've, <clears throat> I think they've referred to this possibility in the show, haven't they? Like someone gets gets bit and and they um, they briefly talk about you know cutting it off to stop the spread of the infection. Did that happen, or am I making that up? I think you're making that up. I'm okay, not, I don't recall that specifically. It's possible, and in that case, maybe TJ has a point here. You know, that seems like you know it seems like a logical ex, uh, extension of what you might think to do if someone is is uh, bitten. The only problem with this and where it breaks down is that we now know that everyone's already infected. Right. So the bite <clears throat> isn't what turns you. It's what kills you, quick. kills you quicker. Because there is a fever involved and it just kills you very, very fast. Yeah, exactly. So it, it could happen for sure. Um, but really it could be anything at this point. But I think TJ has a good, uh, I think yeah. it's a pretty good prediction. That's anyways. a really good prediction. All right. Carl from Birmingham. Birmingham in the UK uh, sent in this uh, call. Hi guys, it's uh, Carl in Birmingham. I uh, just thought I'd phone in about uh, your take on the whole benevolent dictator. Uh, just try and be quick. Um, 
I'm walking uphill on the way back to work, so if I sound out of breath, it's because I'm supremely unfit. And zombies um, are chasing him. <laughs> but, but yeah, benevolent dictator. I, I disagree with your guys' take on this. Um, from memory, it's been a while since I read the comics, um, the, everything the governor did was always with uh, Woodbury's best interests at heart, I think, because he always had them on his side. I mean, they, that's the whole reason he managed to get them to attack a prison and, you know, kill lots of people and uh, all the other horrible stuff happened in the comic. Um, they wouldn't have followed him if they didn't love him. Um, so I think uh, the side that Riff and his gang get to see is very, very different to the side that these people do. So on one hand, uh, benevolent, um, but on the other hand, very much a power-hungry dictator who was prepared to do whatever it took to keep Woodbury safe. Um, like a, in a way, I, I see the governor as being the kind of dark side of Rick. Rick's got pretty dark at times, but I think the, uh, the, the governor just took that to a massive extreme, and it wouldn't be an impossible leap of logic to think that, potentially, uh, that could happen to Rick if he was a different kind of man. So, uh, there we go. That's my take on Benevolent Dictator. Hope, uh, hope that causes some uh, disagreement. All right, I'll speak to you later. Bye. So, Carl is saying that it's kind of a matter of perspective. Yep. I think we were saying that how can he be a benevolent dictator, which means that his people, he's a dictator, but his people love him. Right. Um. And I guess I could see that. The people of Woodbury may love him because they see him as doing the right thing. And our clan, including Rick and everybody, don't really see that. So they see him as an evil, bad, bad guy. So it's, I guess it's a matter of perspective. Yeah, it's a matter of perspective. I mean, that's that happens in the real world all the time, you know? The, the citizens of a country that is being ruled by an overlord sometimes support that overlord as their ruler. Sometimes. Not always. Other times it's because they're afraid that they're going to be singled out and... And whatever, and killed. Yeah. But absolutely, there's that's there's truth in that too. But, uh, you know, benevolence can be a matter of perspective, I think. I mm -hmm. think Carl has a good point there, and it's something I hadn't considered before. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, sorry, Carl, that didn't really promote a lot of disagreement. In fact, we are completely in accordance with your thoughts. Yeah, good thinking. <laughs> Alrighty, so Chris from Pennsylvania wrote in about deer coolers. We've talked about these a lot. We have. Because we don't really know what they are. And Chris wrote a long email, including information about hunting season in Pennsylvania, um, which was all very fascinating. But I pulled a couple of sections here that are long in their own right. <laughs> but they were just so interesting, I had to do it. How about I read the first point, Jason, and you read the second sure. one? Sure. So Chris writes... <clears throat> Many people don't dress their own kills. They just merely hunt. In Pennsylvania, those people take the deer to a processor. The processor is basically a butcher that accepts and processes the wild animal according to law. Deer hunters have licenses, and there is a tear-off tag that has to be affixed to the deer to prove you legally killed it. They have to record the hunter-slash-tag information, and they turn over the information to the state game commission for statistical purposes. This would be like the deer cooler you're confused about. You have to understand that immediately after the first few days of hunting season, the processor is inundated with hundreds of deer. It takes a long time to process those, so the deer go into a deer cooler slash meat locker, etc. Deer cooler. There you go. All right, so, so the, uh, the second point, uh, many people don't have the skill to process their own deer, and they have special requests. So they will tell the processor what they want, that they want X pounds of hamburger, uh, so many steaks, roasts, etc. Uh, there are even specific charges as to whether you want your own kill or just a specific amount of something. For example, it's cheaper to pay, to say you just want 20 pounds of hamburger, but it doesn't have to be from your own deer. Hmm. 
They just process a bunch of deer as a group and divide the hamburger weight amongst several people. Other people pay more to have their own deer specifically processed for them alone. So I can see that. Like you take it in. It's like I killed these 25 deer. Here they are. Just add them to the heap and process these. And here's how much meat I want from from it. Right. Or you can pay more and be like, I killed that deer. I want to eat it. That sounds like a whole thing. It does sound like a whole thing. In fact, he, you know, in this email, he also explained about a little bit how hunting season starts and how people take off work on the first day of hunting season or the first weekend or whatever. And uh, it's it's a really big thing, which it is in Canada too, but us city folk don't really get the, uh, <laughs> don't have all the information on that. Well, I've never been hunting specifically, but I am from a small town and there was a lot of uh, hunting going on and I know where the uh, like there's a place near St. Marie uh, Ontario that's called St. Joe's Island and it's a, like a big island right and mm-hmm. uh, you know years ago like I'm talking a hundred years ago all the farmers on this island killed all the wolves because they were you know eating their livestock and such so now that they've killed all the wolves the deer population is just rampant and out of control so they have to control the deer population on this island by hunting them every year mm-hmm. so there's uh, there's a huge quota of the number of deers that have their deers the deer that have to be taken out of the off the island every year so it's 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 huge right i i mean i understand things like that happen but i okay i am truly the city folk of this duo right never having you know, barely left the big city. Uh, I lived in Ottawa for a while. Does that count as a small town? It does not. It's a, it's a big city. No, it's a small town that's trying to be a big city. Right. That's the way I see it's it. It's the capital of our country. And it's lame. <laughs> oh, it's not that bad. I had a good time there. Um, so I don't really have much insight into this stuff, but clearly Chris in Pennsylvania does, and it was really interesting to hear about. So bottom line is a deer cooler is where deers are stored, uh, before they're processed, especially during the beginning of hunting season. Right. And uh, The Walking Dead, <laughs> incidentally, if we can get back to that, we'll be filming at a deer cooler at some point this season. Nice. So there you go. Um, all right. That's probably enough about deer coolers. Cage from California sent us an email. He said, hey, guys, longtime Walking Dead fan. Love the podcast. Never miss an episode. Thank you, Cage. Nice. I was rereading the comics to get ready for the season finale, and I noticed something strange that I'd never paid attention to before. In the comic, at one point, Rick and Tyrese discuss how silly it sounds to use the word zombie. And again, in a later issue, Andrea is quoted as saying the zombies are piling through. Many people criticize the show because it's like all zombie media and stories don't exist at all in the Walking Dead universe. But others, like me think that the word zombie when referring to the walkers just seems cliche and would take away from the seriousness of the show. What's your opinions on the matter? This is a thing that's common to almost all zombie movies and properties, that the characters within have never seen a zombie before. That's right, yeah. Or or a zombie movie. It's not part of the pop culture of the particular universe they're in. It's not part of that lexicon or whatever. And uh, you just have to go with the fact that zombies don't exist in that universe until they actually rise from the grave. Right. Um, So that's why the term zombie isn't really used because it's never been coined in that in that scenario. Right. And if they do, yeah, I can see how it would feel a little disingenuous. You know, because where are they going to come up with that word if it's they've never heard it before? But then again, we invented the word, so yeah, you know, these that's how language works. Uh, would you like to see them on The Walking Dead start using the word zombie? No, no, no. Even though they do it in the comic a couple times. 
it sounds like, which to be quite honest, I don't remember, but I'm going to take Cage's word for it. Uh, It's been a while since I've gone back and read the earlier issues, so. Yeah, I don't recall that. I like Walkers. It makes sense. I didn't even mind Geeks from season one that much, but they seem to have moved away from that. Right. Uh, But you're right, zombies, zombies might sound a little funny all of a sudden, if they just start broke it out now, you know? Right. (laughs) No other thoughts? No, you know, I don't think I would uh, like them to start using the word zombies, but uh, yeah, I didn't like Geeks either. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it is sort of appropriate. Uh, At least it was unexpected, you know? Yep. It it, it worked because, uh, I mean, a geek originally was what, like a sideshow freak? A sideshow freak, yeah. Or a circus freak? He used to bite the head off of, heads off of live animals. See? That's yeah, appropriate. Yeah, it kind of works. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, uh, yeah I, I don't think I'd like it if they started using zombies. All right. So hopefully they won't do that. Whoa. Whoa. What was that? You won. I won? What did I win, I wonder? <laughs> you looking at porn sites over there? No. All right. <laughs> Good, because you're way too close to me to be doing that. Yeah. Uh, finally, Mike from West Virginia wrote in, and um, he sent me a picture. He's a roller hockey goalie, apparently, and he sent me a picture of a custom mask, goalie mask he did with a Walking Dead motif. Ooh. Um, I just wanted to mention it because it looks super, super cool. He did a really nice job with it, or I guess the artist he hired to do it did a really nice job, but it looks great. I'm going to post some pictures on our site when I post this episode Excellent. and uh, for you all to check it out. I just wanted to mention it now because, uh, you know, that way you'll know to go there and look. Absolutely. <laughs> Makes sense, right? Uh, it's very cool. So go check that out. It's from Mike in West Virginia. It'll be on our website with this post. Okay, only one more thing to do, and that's next time on The Talking Dead. We have to announce our next Walking Dead actor spotlight. Who's it going to be? And then we're all going to wrap it up. It is going to be, well, there's really only two choices. Really? And we're going to go with Lauren Cohan. All right. Who plays Maggie. Um, we are going to watch just three things this time. The first is a short film from 2005 she was in called The Quiet Assassin. Ooh. It's about 18 minutes long. It's available on iTunes. So, like a ninja. Uh, that's what a quiet assassin would be, I guess. Yeah. Hopefully she plays a ninja. That'd be awesome. Um, so I had never heard of this, of course, before. So uh, check it out. It's on iTunes. It's, I think it's a two bucks or something like that. Hopefully worth the $2. I, yeah, hopefully. <clears throat> We're also going to watch another one of her earlier films, Van Wilder 2, The Rise of Taj. Is Taj a regular character in in the Van Wilder series? If I'm not mistaken, there have only been two movies, and he was in both. Oh. He was a supporting character in the first one, which I've seen. So, um... This is reminiscent of the the Rise of the Governor, so uh, that's not too bad. There you go. The Rise of Taj. I've never seen any of the Van Wilder, or... it's Van Wilder's a spinoff of something, right? Uh, no, Van. I think Van Wilder was an original property. The first one had Ryan Reynolds as the Van Wilder character. Right. The second movie, he did not come back to reprise that role. Unless he's in this as a cameo, I do not know. I have not seen it. Hmm. Um, but Taj was a supporting character in the first one, and he's played by the the uh, Kumar guy from Harold and Kumar. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, so he's he's uh, the lead character in this, and it's his rise. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> now, Lauren Cohen is in it, hopefully a fair bit. We're going to watch it and see what she can do here. It's, oh, it's National you know, Lampoons, that's why. It's yeah. all those National Lampoon things that I haven't seen. Right. And you probably don't want to see most of them, but you're going to watch this one. Right. And probably fast forward through half of it. Uh, and finally, the other one is Death Race 2 
from a couple of years ago, oh, awesome. I believe. This is a <clears throat> sequel to Death Race, which, which is a remake of the original 1970s Death Race. I've seen the remake, but I haven't seen the original. I really, really remember enjoying the original quite a bit when I was a teenager. Right. But I don't know how it would hold up now. Is it the same kind of thing? They're driving cars in a race and yeah. it has like weapons and And points for running people over and stuff. Right. Is okay. that in the is that in the remake? I don't know. I haven't seen the I think first so. one. Okay. So <laughs> this is Death Race Two, a straight to video sequel starring Ooh. Lauren Cohan. Nice. We'll see. This is gonna be an interesting assortment. Um and uh yeah. <laughs> It'll be fun. We're gonna we're gonna do this one in a month again, so we will take four weeks to watch three movies. One of them a short film. Hope I can do it. Yeah, I hope you can do it. Uh, if you want to play along, check these movies out. They're available on iTunes or Netflix. Uh, Netflix Canada, I assume Netflix in the states too. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, and you can send in your thoughts and comments about any of this stuff, or just as Lauren Cohan as an actor. That's the reason we do these, so we'd love to hear from you. Uh, all righty. We will be back in two weeks with episode number 80. 80? Wow. 80 episodes. That's Man, crazy. I remember the 80s. <laughs> what was your favorite thing about the 80s? Jeez. Uh, that's a, that's the, a tough question. The music. No. The cars. No. The, the, the high school. No. The, the girls in high school. <laughs> I'm not sure I had a favorite thing in the 80s. The pizza. Um, nope. The, the uh, <laughs> I don't know. I got nothing else. I'll come up with something for next episode, but I can't think of anything that is absolutely my favorite thing about the 80s. The giant brick cell phones that, that nope. people had in movies. No, nope. I was living in, uh, you know, I was living in northern Alberta and Sault Ste. Marie. Nobody had a brick cell phone. Back to the future. You know, that could be, you know, it might be uh, something as simple as Indiana Jones. There you go. I think Indiana Jones, I remember when it first came out, it was, uh, and the Wrath of Khan. Those are two great things about the 80s. Yep. My, you know, Terminator. Yeah, Terminator. Back to the Future's in my top five movies of all time. Ghostbusters. Yep. Although Ghostbusters doesn't hold up as well. Really? I'm sorry to say. I still like it, but it doesn't hold up quite as well. I call bullshit on that. It's... (laughs) Is it this true? Up. This is not true. <laughs> yes, your, Your Honor, this man has no dick. Your opinion is false. All right. Well, if you think my opinion is false, uh, send in your send in some comments. You can do that at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or on our voicemail line at one eight six six four eight three nine six six two. That is the Zomb line four eight three Z O M B. Uh, we are also on fa- uh, Twitter at Talking Dead or Facebook.com slash The Talking Dead. Um, great stuff happens there, so go over and, and partake. I w- it would really mean a lot to me. <laughs> Be a personal favor. And Jason. It would mean a lot to him, too. It would mean so, so much. <laughs> All right. Like I said, we'll be back in two weeks with number 80. After that, on 81, we will be doing the Lauren Cohan Actor Spotlight, and we'll announce the next one. And by then, it must be the start of Season 3, right? I mean, I can't think that far ahead. I hope so. I don't know. (laughs) After that, we'll find something else to do. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. For The Talking Dead, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. Thanks for listening.